This podcast may contain language that is not suitable for all listeners. From the Emerald Podcast Network, this is Dana Sparks, host of the Sex and Relationship column, Asking for a Friend. Today I'll be calling Maria Falzoni, comedian and college sex educator. Hi, it's Dana from the Daily Emerald. Hi, Dina. How you doing? Dana or Dina? Dana. Okay. Hello. I got a I got an email from you about a week ago, and I was wondering why you're reaching out. I am a safer sex lecturer. I've been doing it for 20 years on campuses throughout the United States, and I was diagnosed with a terminal cancer. It's a very rare form of liver cancer about a year ago. And when I went back for my six-month checkup, I had four tumors with a fifth one just starting to grow in my liver. And they're estimating anywhere from four to six months of life. And I had to really get clear about what it is that I wanted to do. Originally, when I was diagnosed, I was told that I had five years to live. So I had a long-term game plan. And then um, I had to go ahead and speed it up. And that's when I went ahead and hired a publicist and said, how do I get my message out to as many people as possible? And how do I get my message out to be more clear? How do I get my message out to as many young people as possible? And so that's why I'm reaching, they reached out. Okay. Well, here we are then. Here we are. We're on track then. That was a thorough introduction. I think we can sort of move into the, the goal of today's interview, which would be Susie Landoffy's quote. Um, no, you know, knowing when you're ready to have sex. The lights can be on, the sheets can be off, you can look at your partner and tell them what you want, how you want it, when you want it, why you want it, and how, and your tips on how to get there. Great. Yeah, absolutely. I think when, when we get to that, before we even get to can you have sex with the lights on, with the sheets off, look at your partner and tell them what you want, when you want it, why you want it, and how you want it. Before you can even do that, and I can give you tips about that, most young people, and I want to say this if you're a young person listening, your parents aren't equipped to do that. So let's just say most people in the world aren't equipped to do that because we don't talk about sex openly and honestly. There's a lot of shame around sex. So really the work needs to start with you. You know, like where are you afraid of having sex or anything that you're ashamed about sex? where you have judgments about sex, where you uncomfortable about having sex. I mean, that has to happen first. And can you even touch yourself in orgasm? There's a lot of people that don't orgasm. They don't, you know, that never had an orgasm. And mostly people with vulvas, you know. And I don't ascribe gender to genitals because there's people who have vulvas and they don't identify as female. And there's people who have penises and they don't identify as male. So I just say people with vulvas, and it's a vulva, not a vagina, you know, because people, you know, we've been taught to focus. See, there's a thing where we're ashamed and afraid because we've been taught to focus on a vagina. Um, mm-hmm. your, and the vagina is the hardest place to orgasm from. There's very few nerves in and around the vagina, and that's right. what we focus on. So most people with vulvas orgasm from the clitoris, which is, hidden and it's difficult and, and you know, because the clitoris is smaller. As a matter of fact, the penis and the clitoris are one in the same. 
You know, so how can I go ahead and give tips until you get, like, you have to, you gotta get to that place. Like, mm-hmm. do you know what your genitals look like? If your genitals ran away, could you identify them in a lineup? Do you, you know, do you know what they feel like? Do you know what you smell like? Do you know what you taste like? Are you comfortable with your own body? Because you can't ask someone else to give you pleasure or make you feel comfortable. Like, you know, that's what you need to bring to the party. You need to bring Mm -hmm. yourself, knowing yourself, feeling comfortable in your own skin. So there's a whole process that has to happen before before that happens. So do you feel comfortable? Can you talk to other people about sex? Can you go ahead and then have a conversation? I mean, that's the guideline. So know yourself, feel comfortable in your own body, be able to masturbate and feel comfortable doing that. And, you know, the reason most people with vulvas don't masturbate is because the clitoris is smaller. And and, um, if you have a clitoris, sometimes you're stimulated and you don't even know that you're stimulated. But you really have to pay attention to that so you can hear the call of your clitoris. Mm -hmm. Because usually it's like a whisper in the beginning. It's like, shh, And, you know, and you could miss that. It's like, did I leave a window open? Um, No, that was the call of your clitoris. And as you get to hear the, you get more comfortable. It's like then, you know, you'll, you'll, your clitoris will get louder. It'll be like, and then you'll go, oh my God, there's my clitoris. I want to touch my clitoris. And if you have a clitoris, you don't even touch your clitoris. You know, people with vulvas have the ability to think themselves an orgasm, which is pretty freaking amazing. It's like, I think I come, therefore I am. <laughs> it's a superpower. You know, that's like, like we don't mind rush hour traffic, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what were you doing? <laughs> Thinking, you know, so like, really, what do you think about sex? Are you comfortable about sex? What are you afraid of? And why are you afraid of that? And do you want to continue to be afraid of that? You know, like, where are you in the process? And even before you want to consider having sex, and one of the things I want to add to that is, can you say no to someone? Can you say no? And can you hear no? Especially now where we're in this whole time of consent. And I think that, and, and I mean, this is where I'm not going to be gender, I'm not going to be um, genital specific. I'm going to say women, like little girls, the way that little girls get raised, is very different than the way that little boys get raised. And little girls are taught to be good girls. You know, be a good girl. And being a good girl means doing what other people want you to do and giving up yourself and making it easy for other people and learning to feel uncomfortable and pushing your uncomfortability to the side and not using a loud voice. Because if you use a loud voice, what happens when women speak up is they get labeled as bitches. So little girls see that and they hear it. And I don't think that parents think, oh, let me go ahead and raise a young woman, a little girl to become a young woman so that she can go ahead and be taken advantage of. That's not what I'm thinking. I think parents get overwhelmed with parenting and they're like, I just need this to be easy. And when you have an easy child, you also have a possible victim. And so learning to say no and just saying no and not having to explain why you said no. You know, will you, will you do this? No, I don't want to do that. I don't want, why don't you want to? No. no. A lot of times you don't ask men or little boys, why don't you want to do that? We just understand their no. We hear it. They have a right to know. 
And the way that little boys say no to each other is very different. It's very forceful. It's very loud. So they're, and I'm talking about, you know, relationships between heterosexuals. So they're expecting, um, you know, someone to push them off and go, no, no, what the fuck? Are you an asshole? Because that's what guys will say to each other. They have no problem calling each other assholes and calling each other out on that stuff. Most young women don't feel that way. So do you feel comfortable and can you authoritatively say no? And then when you can do those things, how do you go ahead and negotiate sex with someone? I said, you know, like one of the things is um, it's a slow, clear conversation. One of the, you know, hopefully you know the person, you know their first name, you know their last name, and you can go, you know, we're going to get together tonight, and this is what I'd like to do. How do you feel about that, or what is it that you would like to do? Mm-hmm. You know, so you're- do you feel comfortable doing with someone the first time that you have sex? You can ask open-ended questions. So posing sex as a conversation, almost. Yeah, because that's what it is. It's absolutely a conversation. And it's a constant conversation. It's a conversation every time you want to have sex. It's a conversation during sex. How does that feel? Is this okay? Can I go ahead and touch you here? And then I think when, young, you know, a lot of times when young people put that in their mind, they think it's a clinical conversation, but you have to stop the action and go, can I touch you here now? Is this okay? Is this okay? Is this okay? Well, you could have that kind of conversation, or you could have a conversation, definitely having a conversation before. Having a conversation beforehand really just clears the space and gives you permission to go ahead and get your clothes off. You know, And even before you, want, you take your clothes off, it's like you get to figure people out when you see how they are in public and how they interact with you and other people. We know how to read people. What we have, we've always, especially as children, known how to read people. What has been, what's happened is that voice, that wise voice has been really silenced or quieted. So it takes practice to listen to the voice. But, you know, the gut feeling. This doesn't feel right. There's something about this person that doesn't feel right. And so, um, having a conversation before, during, and after, that's really important. You know, mm-hmm. like after you have sex, somewhere where you haven't had sex. And then you ask someone, what was that like? How did that feel for you? Did you like that? What did you want more of? What did you want less of? And all of that conversation stuff comes from um, the world of BDSM. You know, there's a great book called BDSM, um, what's it called? S&M 101. And in the beginning of the book, like one of the first chapters, is all about communication and how important communication is. And I just thought, oh, my God. And as I was reading the communication and how Jay, it's by Jay Weissman, how he was breaking it down and explaining I went, oh, my God, if vanilla people did this, if people brought this to vanilla sex, it's like I think this is the best way for everybody to have sex. (laughs) Everyone would benefit from having sex this way. Mm -hmm. And and it's important. And, And if you can't do it, if you really can't do it and you, like, you do a self-assessment or you're with someone and they can't do it, you just bless them and bless yourself and go, they're not ready, I'm not ready, and I'm not going to do this. And it doesn't mean that you're bad or you're wrong because I think that's what happens. There's an automatic assumption that you should know how to have sex. And that's bullshit because no one's born knowing how to have sex. It is taught. It's a taught behavior is actually your body responds and there's a physical response. And then 
you know, the, there's excitement in your hormones and there's a charge of hormones and all of a sudden there's this exploration. However, in order for it to be good, there's got to be communication because two people are having that experience and one person might not be feeling comfortable. And you have a right to stop the action at any time. And, and that's another thing that's important to say. You know, and you don't, you know, like when you look at sex portrayed in movies, in regular movies, you know, the, the clothes come off in a perfect line to the bed and both people know exactly how to touch, to touch each other and nobody sweats and no one has a pimple on their ass and they both <laughs> orgasm at the same time and there's no conversation and that's bullshit. You know, it's absolute bullshit. And then people now, with access to the Internet, you, you, you have access to porn, right? So young people are looking at porn, and they think they have to go ahead and shave their vulvas, and guys have to trim, you know, someone with a penis has to trim their, you know, their, their crotch hair or shave their chest, and your labia and your vulva has to look a certain way. And if it doesn't look like the porn, like the um, sex workers, there must be something wrong with your genitals. They, they aren't pretty. I never had that shit. I never had a concern about that. There's like a whole nother level of pressure. Mm-hmm. And I know sex workers. I know people in the industry who film. And it, it, none of that's real. No one can hold their legs over their head for 15 to 20 minutes. There's like six cameras shooting that. And no <laughs> one can take, you know what I mean? And they edit it. And if you start to look and you really start to look at porn, you go, shit, that's the same shot. They just, it's the same thing. You know, it's not 20 or 30 minutes of sex. And no one can take, a, you know, a 10-inch penis in their throat without gagging. But no one ever gags. So where, I guess for the people setting out on this, like, exploration and taking on this um, this conversation about sex, where where would you suggest they look for, like, inspiration or, like, as an example? Well, Scarlet Team is a great site that has information, good vibrations. I'm a huge fan of sex toys and vibrators. I, I don't even know how many vibrators I have. And I think that having vibrators and being able to go ahead and get yourself off with a toy and, and feeling comfortable to bring toys in your play with a partner. And that's the other thing. Like sometimes I will have women... Um, come up to me and say, my partner doesn't want, you know, want um, to use a vibrator. And, and, and I think, and why is that? Because they're intimidated and they should be enough. And I think, I think that's a big thing I want to say to young people. If what comes out of your mouth, if a sentence comes out of your mouth and it has the word should in it, notice. Because if it has the word should in it, it's most likely a lie. And it most likely shames you and paralyzes you or judges and shames somebody else. Should isn't true. What is true is what is true. Yeah. So rather than being like, well, I should be able to do this, rather than looking at what you can do, like, well, I, I could do this. Right. Or I don't feel comfortable doing this. Or I would not like to do that. Or I would like to do that. It would make me happy to do that. It doesn't make me happy to do that. If I do that, oh, my God, yes. If I don't do that, and if I can't do that, like, you know, I should be able to, but you're not, and that's okay. Can you be kind to yourself? And if you have a partner who's shooting on you, get the fuck out of there. Amen. You should have done that. You could have done that. If only, 
really? It's not what happened. It's not where I'm at. Done. I got to go. Because that is not a kind, loving person. And how can you feel safe? And how can you feel comfortable and empowered? Let's break down empowerment. How do we empower the individual to say no, to check themselves out, like get to know their body, start that conversation, or help their partner have that conversation? I don't know if you can get anybody to do anything. You know, I I I I, I did my show once at a um at in a theater, and I invited sex therapists and women. And this woman had been married for, you know, 27, 28 years. And she says, how do I get my husband to go down on him? You know, and I said, well, you know, glue, you know, glue his ears to your inner thighs. <laughs> you know, it's like you can't get anybody to do anything. You can only ask them. And if they say no, they say no. And I don't think it's a good idea to ask someone, well, why not? Right. Because then someone has to go ahead and defend themselves. I'm now in a place where I have to defend myself. And I wouldn't do it while someone was naked yeah. or while we were about to have sex. Mm-hmm. But I, what I would say later on is, you know, what I notice is there's really a big resistance when I ask you to do that. And um, I'm wondering what's there for you. And the person may say, I'm not ready to talk about it. You know, I don't know what it is and I feel uncomfortable. And, you know, is it something that you want to change? And not, well, is it something you want to change? Because, again, what's that? Is it something you want to change? No, it really isn't something I want to change. Now, you're, you have information, right? And now you have a choice. You have, now, you can only take care of yourself and be powerful. And you can sit there and go, well, that's something I really want to experience. And I really want to have sex that way. Or I want to have that experience. Or I want to be with a partner who's willing to talk about stuff and give more information. And this partner isn't. And you can say to that partner, not in that conversation, well, if you don't want to do that, what you can say is that's really important to me. I understand that you don't want to do that. And, what you know, I, you know, here are our options. These are the things. We can have an open relationship and we can open it up so that I, I can have that experience with someone else and we can set up some rules about that, you know. And if, the, if you're not comfortable with that, at you, the individual who's making the request and ask that, Need to go? Do you want to? Do you want to end that relationship? I'm gonna forget. There was this guy who came up to me once after a lecture, and he said, I, I, "I'm in a relationship with someone who who was severely sexually abused, and and she does not enjoy sex, and she does not want to go into therapy, and she doesn't want to go ahead and take a look at what happened to her. She does, and and I'm over here, you know, being the supportive boyfriend, and I'm really frustrated." And I looked at him and I said, you don't have to stay. And I said, I know that you care about her and you want to be a nice guy and do the right thing. So here's someone, here's an example of a man being a nice guy. However, you're sacrificing your desires. You're 18 years old or you're 20 years old, or I mean young. So you have a high sex drive and you're going to go ahead and not experience sex and have sex to go ahead and be with someone who has no desire to go ahead and do anything about changing the situation or getting help or looking at what she's going through. You don't have to say that doesn't make you a bad person and you don't have to prove 
to her that all men aren't assholes and you're going to be the representative for all men are, you know, are assholes. You're going to be the one. That's not your job. You have a right to be in a relationship with someone who's going to go ahead and be sexually open and you're going to have that sexual experience. And he started to cry. He started, he like, he, and he started to sob because it was like, oh my God, oh my God, like, like I can do that. And to have to work through the shame and the pain about that. Because we're not responsible for other people. We can't get other people to do anything. We can ask and then we can wait. And if people don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. And that doesn't mean you have to stay. And it doesn't mean you make them wrong. And it doesn't mean you make them bad or you demonize them. or uh, They just aren't in that place to do that. And they don't want to do something you want to do that you really want to experience. And also, I think the other thing that we need to look at is one in three women have been molested. One in five or six. You know, the statistics always change about that. I actually think it is actually higher. It's probably one in four men have been molested. So if you've been sexually molested, your no has been taken away from you. You don't know how to say no. You don't know how to read a situation. You don't, you know, you, you don't have any of that because slowly and systematically your no was taken away and you were taught to believe that you wanted to do something when your gut told you no. So you don't have gut instinct. That needs to happen in a counseling office with a professional. Mm-hmm who can go ahead and empower you. It takes a lot of work to feel comfortable with no and to be able to say no. And so what I used to say in my, my lecture is have a no day. Today's the day I say no. And you can have a sign. You can tell all your friends, you ask me to do anything, I'm going to say no. Can you pass me that bottle of water? No. Can you go ahead and move that chair for me? No. Can you change the channel? No. Can you go ahead and, you know, want to go out and have something to eat? No. Be prepared to be eating on your own and doing other stuff or ask other people. Want to go grab something to eat? And hopefully they're not having a no day. You, you know what I mean? But uh-huh. you have no days and you don't explain it. You don't explain the no. And you notice, are you feeling bad? Okay, I felt bad. That doesn't mean anything. I'm still saying no. I don't give a shit. I'm saying no. I made a commitment to saying no. I'm saying no. And you could even play with your friends. Today's the day that I say no loudly and boldly. Hey, you want to go grab a slice of pizza? And you stamp your foot and go, no! You know? Mm-hmm. Or you throw something on the floor and go, hell no! And it's your hell no day. Or whatever it is. So there's, there's a sense of play to it. And then you just get comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. Now, I have, a, I have a, uh, an 18-year-old kid who has no problem saying no. And she was the biggest pain in my ass. The biggest pain in my ass. I, I raised, if you're a parent, you're raising a pain in the ass. I try to guilt her. I'm not. Don't try to guilt me. I'm not doing it. You know, I know what you're doing. I'm, no, I'm not doing that. Well, why don't you? I don't have to explain why I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. No. Like, oh, shit. This is what happens when you raise a badass. <laughs> She's five foot. You can't push her around. She doesn't give a shit. And she knows how to read people. I said, how's it going? You know, well, I just hung out with someone. I just met them in this. You know, in the theater class, he seems fun, but there might be a little bit of cray-cray there, so I'm just going to check it out. I don't know if I want to, how much closer I want to get. And she doesn't automatically become friends with people. She really just 
watches and assesses and figures it out? And how are they with other people? And if she sniffs just a little bit of cray-cray, she is crystal clear it is not her job to take on friends that are like that to help them. Because that just leads, you know, leads to a big jar of pain in the ass. Oh, yeah. However, parents would say, oh, go ahead and play with them. Oh, come on. They're not that bad. It's okay. And I remember one time I was going on a walk with a friend of mine, and her daughter wanted to do her homework a certain way. And we're walking, and she said, and she didn't want to listen to me the way I did her homework. So I turned around, and I said to her, okay, fine, do it that way. If you fail, you realize you're going to fail. And if you do fail, don't come back to me and ask me to help you, because I am not going to help you. Mm -hmm. And I looked at her, and I said, when you go home, you need to apologize to your daughter. And she says, what? I said, you need to apologize to your daughter, because she's in high school. And she has a boyfriend. And he's like, come on, baby, suck my dick. And she says, no. He's like, fine, see if I take you to the dance. See if we go ahead out and go all mad. You see, I don't want to be your boyfriend. I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody about you. And she's going to give in because you taught her to give in. And she's like, fuck, I didn't even think of that. She went home and she apologized to her kid. Because as parents, we don't think about that. We pull that shit on you all the time, all the time. But being a sex educator, I had the foresight. So in your own family, where, where did you learn to acquiesce? You don't have to acquiesce to anybody, not your job, not your job, and just play with it, play with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, all of this has just been, like, so good to hear. Listening, I mean, I can't wait to deliver this to the actual student body because it has just been this huge, you know, push towards making life, not just sex, but life, your the way that you move through the world, a conversation. Yeah, and that who you are, who you are, Dana, is magnificent. Who I am is magnificent. Like everyone listening, you are magnificent. And we don't treat ourselves that way. And we settle for non-magnificence. And I'm going to say to you what I said to my daughter when she was 10 years old. She went and had, you know how they have sex education at school? Mm Mm-hmm. Did you get the talk at 10, like in the fourth or fifth grade? I think they, they moved it up to the fourth grade, the first talk about periods, because, you know, people with vulvas are starting to, master, to menstruate younger, like in the, some in the beginning of the fourth grade, right? So menstruation is happening, it's happening earlier, and they're not equipped because parents aren't talking to their children about menstruation. So the school has taken it on. And um, I think it's in the fifth grade. When you're, I think you're 10 or 11, like 10 going on 11. I think you might be, I don't know, anyway. In the fifth grade, they, ha- they take it to the next level and they have the conversation about intercourse. So my kid comes home, and being the sex educator that I am, I am so excited. I'm pacing in front of the door like I can't wait for my kid to get home so we can go ahead and talk about this. And I open up the door, and I'm like, hi. She, I'm like, did you have the talk today, the sex talk? And she's like, I don't want to talk about it. And she goes up into a room. And I'm like, oh, she doesn't want to talk to me, which is kind of normal that 10 or 11-year-old is now embarrassed and doesn't want to talk about it. So I waited a couple of days, and she's down in my office, and I said to her, I said, I know you don't want to talk about the um, the sex thing. I, can I just ask one question? I said, I, there's just one thing I want to know. She's like, what? I said, did they tell you that sex happens between a man and a woman, and she said yes. 
And I said, well, you, you, you know how I feel about that. And she said, yes, mom, I know how you feel about that. You know, I said, because, you know, men have sex and women have sex together. She said, mom, we have gay people in our lives. And I, like, literally went out and found gay people to bring home. So, you know, I mean, I had a lot of male gay friends that, you know, she has Uncle Michael and Tom always. I had very few lesbians in my life, so I went out and found lesbians um, and had lesbians over to dinner. And I actually had a lesbian couple cry when I said, could you come over to my house for dinner? Because, you know, and I said, you know, my I don't have any lesbian friends. And, I, you know, I always say to my daughter that, you know, it's okay to be gay. And I, I don't have any any gay lesbians. And she, and she cried. She's like, no one's ever asked me to dinner because I'm a lesbian. And no one's ever asked me to dinner with my partner so that their kid could meet me. I said, well, I'm asking you. And they came to dinner. And she's like, you've done all that stuff. I said, okay, good. So we're, we, we know about that. I said, did they say you had to be married? It had to happen between a married man and woman? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I, I, I'm just going to share my thoughts with you on waiting till you get married. I said, I really hope you don't get married until your late 30s. There's just so much to do in life. I really hope that you don't get married till later in life. And that is a long time to wait to have sex. And sex is incredible. And as you get older, you're, you may date and you may meet someone and you may want to go ahead and have sex with them. And I want you to know that I am perfectly comfortable with you bringing someone home and having sex in your bed and in your bedroom. I said, I don't want you having sex in the woods where you can end up with poison ivy on your ass. And I don't want you to have sex um, in a car where you're rushed and you're worried that you're going to get caught or you could get pulled, you know, like, you know, the police could find you and, and, and mess with you. I don't want you to have that. I want you to enjoy the experience. She's like, well, mom, I don't think that's going to happen. And that's kind of weird. I go, well, it may and it may not happen. I just want you to know that I'm totally fine with that. And I said, and the, and the other thing that I want to say to you is, you know, you're really good at reading people. And if you think about intercourse, what they told you, a penis enters a vagina. I said, and you're made of energy, energy, and other people, like the person you choose to have sex with, they have made of energy. They have energy. And some people have some really bad energy. So you, you have felt that, and you've talked about that. Like, they have some really, ugh, mom, they, I don't know, there was something about them. I go, you know, when you have intercourse, you're letting somebody's energy into you. Whose energy do you want inside of you? Whose energy do you want to enter? Who do you want to exchange that with? And I hope whoever you choose to exchange that energy with thinks you're the most amazing human being that walks the face of the earth and that you think they're pretty incredible too. Because sex might not be great, but the experience of being with that person will be great. And you'll feel good about the choice of the person. And that's what I want to say to everybody. Like, just choose wisely. You know, without the judgment. Hey, Maria, we're coming up um, on, like, the last few minutes that uh, we you have believe it? I know. I can't shut up. I, but this has been a brilliant interview. I've loved listening to what you have to say, and I'm very excited. You've been steering the ship, but I do want to give you the opportunity in the last, like, four or so minutes um, just like closing words, if you want, um, if you want to sum up anything. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm really happy to have this opportunity, Dana. I'm really glad that you called me and I'm able to have what I, you know, have my message heard. 
And I think the most important thing to me and the biggest reason I'm doing this, uh, first of all, I want to say that I am in love with you and your generation. I am blown away by young people. I am just blown away by your commitment and your passion and your level of acceptance and understanding of people. I've been doing this lecture for 20 years. I've been lecturing for 20 years. And I never thought that in my lifetime that I would see um, homophobia end. And when I see what young people do and how young people stand up and how gay people and transgender people um, and queer folk can navigate the world with so much more freedom and so much less shame, because shame kills, I, I just say thank you. Thank you. Like, that, that's handled. And I'm, I'm not going to be on this planet for very much longer. And so I'm going to ask this generation not to stop their work and to end the shame, like to take on ending the shame around sex and sexuality. So there is so much legislation that happens around sex education in our government. And I'm going to say that you go ahead and bring sex education into your homes. That when you go to have children and you talk to your brothers and sisters and you talk to your parents, that you say it's okay to talk about sex. And that when you have children, you teach them the name of their genitals when they're babies. And you don't wait until they get older that, you know, that you be as lucky as I was that my kid's third word was vulva, you know, and that children know that their penises are their penises and that it's theirs and nobody else gets to touch it except for them and that it's okay to touch it and it's okay to be feel pleasure and to celebrate that and encourage your children to do that and that every time that you take a step in your own sexual expression and become more confident and notice where that you're stopped and you challenge yourself or you accept exactly where you are, that you get a little bit more freedom and allow other people freedom, that we fight for sexual freedom and expression. That's, that's my dying wish, that that happens. Thank you so much. You are so welcome. I'm tearing up in the studio right now. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you for the I, opportunity. I really, thank you. Thank you for giving me some of your time and sharing your wisdom with the campus. Um, yeah, thank you. Well, I guess this is goodbye, and I, yeah. I'll keep in touch. Thank you.